Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, it's the season of giving, a time to help others, and an end-of-the-year tradition when Americans make charitable gifts. They have plenty of choice about where to put their dollars. There are more than 1.5 million nonprofit organizations across the country. However, recently many of these nonprofits have received fewer donations. Giving USA Foundation reported total charitable giving dropped by 3.4% last year. Meanwhile, over at Harvard University, two researchers say they have cracked the code for motivating potential donors to give. Their giving multiplier is a research-based matching system that promotes both effective philanthropic and charitable giving and the world's most effective charities. Will this become the future model of giving? Later in the show, one plot of land sheltered by a forest, one yellow house, and 200 years of personal and political history. A new novel traces the intertwined seasons of the people linked to one New England house and the land on which it sits. I'd be walking around the woods um, and encounter these old walls or old cellar holes or um, 100-year-old houses that are falling apart. Daniel Mason's latest novel, North Woods, is a storytelling tour de force. At turns, personal diary, farmer's almanac, and ecological record. And it's our December selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. But first, joining me now, Joshua Green, psychology professor at Harvard University and co-founder of Giving Multiplier, a website that aims to help people make more effective donations. Hi, Joshua. Hi. Delighted to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Also with me, Michael Norton, business administration professor at Harvard Business School and co-author of Happy Money, the Science of Happier Spending. Hello, Michael. How are you? Thanks so much. Well, glad to have both of you. I want to put a couple other statistics on the table just to frame this conversation. So that decline that I mentioned in the open is only the fourth time in four decades that donations did not increase year over year. This is a gain according to the Giving USA report. And here's another interesting fact. At the beginning of the 21st century, two-thirds of Americans gave. Today, it's down to under 50 percent for the first time. So giving has grown, but fewer people are participating. Now, there's lots of reasons for why people give. Uh, And I want to start with you, Michael Norton. Um, This is your business of trying to figure out what makes people motivated to to use their money in certain ways. So why do people give? I think there are a few, there are many, many reasons, of course, including your coworker stops by your office and makes you sign something because they're running a marathon and you feel like you have to sign up to give. So we have all kinds of different prompts to give in the world. I think the research suggests um, a couple that are particularly important. One is really that you feel personally connected to the cause. That could be personally connected to an individual, for example, a family member with an illness, and so you want to donate to that charity. Uh, Or it could be just personally connected in a broader way, people in your country or people in your religion. That kind of connection, I think, is sometimes lacking and sometimes makes it hard for charities to raise money. And then the other big one is the feeling of having an impact on something. So 
often when people don't give, they say something like, how could my $5 possibly help this enormous problem facing the world? And so the feeling that it sort of drops in a bucket can prompt people not to give as well. And so when we're thinking about encouraging people to give, we're really trying to think about how do we increase that feeling of connection and increase that feeling of impact. So that's Michael Norton. He's a professor of business administration at Harvard Business School and co-author of Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. Over to you, Joshua Green. Now, you're a professor of psychology and a member of the Center for Brain Science, um, and you're a co-founder of something new called Giving Multiplier. First, a little bit about how you came to want to focus on how people give and why they give. There are these two often competing considerations. There's impact. You want to really help. But what motivates people to give in the first place is that feeling of connection. And those two things don't necessarily go together or or are, are not perfectly correlated. In fact, they can be pretty far apart. Uh, and so my interest for a long time has been on the impact side, right? And, you know, let me, let me give you an example that comes from the, the philosopher and, and uh, philanthropy researcher, Toby Ord. So to uh, train a guide dog uh, to help a blind person in a country like the United States might cost something like $50,000. In other parts of the world, you could perform a surgery that costs less than $100 that prevents someone from going blind in the first place, let's say from a disease called trachoma, right? So this is a situation where you, you know, money can be used to Im- improve uh, the lives of people who might suffer from, from blindness. And in one case, you can spend $50,000 helping one person, or that same amount of money could, could help 100 people or even closer to 1,000 people with, with the surgery. And so what giving multi- multiplier is about is trying to allow people to give in a way that is satisfying, but also does a lot more good than could otherwise be done. And the the basic mechanic of this is, uh, based on research that I did with my collaborator, Lucius Caviola, we found that people who don't like the idea of switching away from the things that they're personally connected to and just doing something that, that researchers say is highly impactful. But if you give people the opportunity to do both, if you say, hey, why don't you split your donation between something that's personally meaningful to you, this could be helping blind people in the United States, or the you know supporting the local animal shelter, or something like that. But then also use part of your money to do something like supporting blindness preventing surgeries outside the United States, or distributing malaria nets uh, in 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 sub-Saharan Africa, which or deworming treatments where you can. Uh, at least temporarily rid a child of intestinal uh, parasitic worms with a treatment that costs less than a dollar. So we we found that people really like doing both of these things at the same time because you you, you get to support the thing that you you personally care about and you get to say, well, I'm also doing this thing that's really impactful. And then what Giving Multiplier does is it adds money on top to both of those donations. Um, We also ask people to support the matching fund that enables us to do that. And we have created this virtuous cycle where people receive matching funds uh, and and end up supporting more effective charities than they otherwise would. And then other people put matching funds in uh, that enables this cycle to keep going. And since since we launched this 
2020, we've raised over $2.5 million. And uh, most of that money has gone to super effective charities that do an enormous amount of good per, per, per dollar. So I'm going to ask you to be even more detailed about how it works in just a second. But I wanted to um, just emphasize something that both of you made clear, that people are driven initially, certainly, and maybe always about the emotions part of it. And according to uh, what you said, Michael, about um, how they feel afterwards. So here's a few people uh, talking about why they donate. You know, I just, it just makes me feel good. I feel like oftentimes people are in a situation not usually because of misfortune and uh, circumstances. And I think it's important to take care of each other. Well, I want to facilitate people's lives. I want people to have the things that I know that I've been without. We were always taught when you're blessed, then you give. If you're a giver, you never have to wait for anything. You're constantly receiving as you give. Everyone's helped me so much, so I feel like I'm returning that. It just puts a real positive energy out into the world. So I think some people feel if I'm putting positive energy to the world and I'm responding emotionally to what um, moves me to give, um, do I feel a little weird about being more clinical about it? Like, where is exactly this dollar going and, and what is the highest point of impact? But that's exactly um, what you're trying to say is very, very effective, um, Joshua Green. So I want you to now slowly tell me how this works. I actually went on the site to test it out, and here's what I did. I put in Alzheimer's Association. My mother died from Alzheimer's, so this is always uh, an organization that I give to every year. And then I uh, was asked to pick some, pick another charity from the ones you have vetted to be effective, and a bunch of them came up, and I picked Johns Hopkins. And I think because, in my mind, connecting the research that my mother felt was very important to continue because she knew she was ill, um, so I, I went there. And then I watched the system work, and then they, you all, meaning Giving Multiplier, added more money. So my original $500 turned into $700 as a donation by the end. So just to be clear with to everybody, uh, explain again how that works. I mean, that was very satisfying because I don't didn't know what Johns Hopkins was doing, but you've told me that you've done the work on that, so I don't have to do it. And um, I know my people at the Alzheimer's Association are still getting what they need. It's 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 you know exactly what you said. So um, if you go to givingmultiplier.org, there's a there's a search field that allows you to select any uh, any registered charity uh, in, in in the United States. So you you picked one associated with Al with Alzheimer's. You could pick NPR. You could pick something that's personally meaningful to you. My wife and I like to support uh, Cambridge Public Schools and the Boston Food Bank. Uh, and then we have a list of nine charities that do different kinds of things, but have all been identified as highly effective by researchers. So some of these are uh, in the global health and poverty space. So this is things like malaria nets to, to, to prevent children from, from, from getting malaria, evidence action, which I mentioned earlier, which provides these deworming treatments that you know, reduce a lot of miser misery and enable children to, to go to school, uh, give directly, which provides direct cash transfers 
uh, to people who can use it not only to feed themselves, but to do things like make improvements on their home and 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 you know start a business that uh, operates in places like Kenya. And then Helen Keller International, which provides vitamin A supplements and uh, and and also um, and, and which can prevent blindness, etc. Um, we have some channels, uh, some charities related to animal welfare. Good Food Institute is working on meat substitutes to prevent people from, uh, to make it easier for people to avoid buying meat that involves cruel uh, uh, factory farming practices. The Humane League works on that at a policy level. We have a, a climate charity called the Clean Air Task Force. The, the name is a little bit different from what you might expect, but they focus on big policy issues and green technology that can really make a huge difference when it comes to climate. And then the one that you picked, Callie, uh, Johns Hopkins Center for Biosecurity is about doing the research to prevent the next uh, pandemic. Um, so those are, you pick one of those and then you decide how much you want to enter, uh, how much you want to, you enter how much you want to give total, right? Um, and then we have this little slider uh, that uh, enables you to sort of decide how you want to apportion your donation between the charity that you chose and uh, and 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 the charity that's from our list of super duper effective charities. And then as you slide that up and down, you can see how your total donation changes. The way it's set up, if the more you give to the highly effective charity, the more we add on top. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm with Joshua Green, Harvard University psychology professor and co-founder of Giving Multiplier, a website that aims to help people make more effective donations. And Michael Norton, Harvard Business School professor and co-author of Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. We're discussing effective charitable giving. Okay, so back to you, Michael Norton. Um, does this check all the boxes of what makes people feel good about uh, giving? And, um, of course, they get the emotional piece of their own. Then they pick something that has been vetted for them to be highly effective. Why does that make a difference or could potentially make a difference in either getting people to give in the first place or give more, potentially? Yeah, I think one of the key things actually that is is present in this model is the element of choice, which I think is hugely important. So if you think about wanting to have a personal connection or even any kind of connection and wanting to have a feeling that you're having an impact, if the website or any website has only one charity and you have to give to that charity, there's a chance it's one that you really care about, but there's a chance it's just not one that you're particularly interested in. It's it's saving wildlife and you're more concerned with supporting cancer research. One of the other things we do see in our research is that the element of choice is critical. That in fact, if you have some say in where the money is going, that does things like increase your sense of connection and increase your feeling of impact because you are giving to something you care about. And it doesn't have to be incredibly specific. It just has to be a category that you personally care about. And the way that this website works, of course, is that you have enough range where you can really sort of play out your values in terms of where you give. And that's probably why it's been effective in people not only being willing to give, but also um, feeling that they're giving in a way that they would like to. I'm going to play an ad from UNICEF, Michael Dorton, and I want you to tell me whether you think this effectively works to get people to give. What would you do if there was a child right in front of you, sitting all alone, crying in pain from hunger, 
near death from sickness. And what if all you had to do was reach into your pocket and pull out 50 cents to save that child's life? This is that child, and this is that moment. Go online and join UNICEF with your $15 monthly gift. I often wonder if people just get desensitized to it. It's quite emotional. It should tap into all the senses we've discussed, Michael Norton. But what do you think? What's your research say? First, I, I, I do want to say, even though we're focusing on the decline in, in giving and that maybe fewer people are, are you know, donating to charity than they used to, it is an extraordinary thing that humans do it at all because we don't have to. So we we sort of have sometimes a cynicism creep in about, um, you know, people are being selfish and why are fewer people giving and shouldn't we all be giving more? And I think those are really important conversations and I share some of those concerns myself. But it is extraordinary that some people who just listen to that are already on the UNICEF website donating because it affected them personally, even though they couldn't even see the video. They just heard this story about a child and they thought I should do something. So we have this amazing capacity in us to be giving. And the real question is, how do we unlock it more for people so that they're giving in the ways that they really, really care about? In our research, we've tried to focus a lot on um, people feeling good about the giving experience. In other words, that after you do it, you feel happy that you did it. So if your coworker that you hate forces you to sign their charity thing, you might not feel good about it because you you know you can't stand that guy. We're trying to structure things so that you're giving to things that you really care about and that and that feeling of impact as well. Hmm. So that that brings me to a, a new poll that came out in July of this year uh, about Americans. Uh, this was a, a group of 2,100 adults across the U.S. Uh, released by the Better Business Bureau's Give.org. Half of those said they stopped giving to charity over the past five years because they thought wealthier people could afford to give more and should. Where does that fall in, um, I guess, for you, Joshua, on your on your uh, giving multiplier? Does that help people answer the question that it doesn't matter, you know, what you give, the level at which you give, that you can still be as impactive? Or is this a huge blow that you're going to be sort of, you know, climbing up the hill against because people feel like I am not rich. These people are rich. They got a lot more than me and they should be doing it. I, I don't I don't ever want to say to somebody, you know, you're 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 doing something wrong if you're not giving or if you're not giving more. I mean, the way I would put it is if if you feel that you can af- afford it, right, whatever it is, um, try to do your, your personal best. Right. So, uh, you know, what, one way to think about this is if if you're on a diet, right? Uh, if if you have a diet that you find really hard to stick to, it feels like it's making more demands of you than than, than you're you're able to meet. You're likely to abandon the diet entirely, right? And in the same way, when it comes to giving, I think it's it's better to think of this in a sort of personal best kind of way, which is you know whatever my situation is, what what do I feel that I can do? And uh, the good news is it is always possible to do something that might really make a difference. So it turns out it's actually you can't save someone's life as far as we know for 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 50 cents um, that that, you know, the people who do the research on global health and poverty inter- inter- interventions, uh, 
indicate that it, it usually costs on average more like you know in the thousands of dollars per life saved. But that number is real. And that means that you and other people can pool your resources and contribute to that. The other thing is that there are smaller things where you can really think about your impact, even at the level of 50 cents making a, a, a difference. So I mentioned the uh, deworming charity. So the one that we support is called Evidence Action. And it costs less than a dollar to provide a single one of these deworming treatments. Now, that single treatment is not going to save someone's life, but it can really improve someone's life, at least for a, a short period of time. And you can come back and and and, and do it again. So uh, I, I would say, you know, if, if you feel that you have even a few dollars to give, why not find the kind of charity where even a few dollars can really make a difference um, and, 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 and go for that? Michael, how would you answer that? People who say there's all these other wealthy people and they should be giving and I, I, you know, I'm mad because that I just can't have the same impact and they should be carrying more weight. Even though I just finished saying that we have this extraordinary capacity to give, we also have an amazing ability to try to avoid being asked to give in the first place or look for excuses not to give, I guess, is my broader point. There's a study that I love by an economist named Jim Andrioni where they, um, around the holidays, they go to a retailer and, you know, they have the um, Salvation Army Santa out front collecting money. And the only thing they do is they vary which entrance the Santa is ringing the bell at. And you can imagine what happens, which is whatever entrance the Santa's at, everybody goes and walks all the way around the building to go in the entrance where there's no Santa. <laughs> but then when they move that Santa over to that one, everybody starts going in the other entrance at well uh, uh, instead. So we do and sometimes look for reasons why I shouldn't have to give right now. One of them could be other people could be giving more, and so I don't need to give right now. But I do think um, in this specific case of wealth, we do have research. My um, collaborator, Oliver Hauser, has shown that for lower income people, we tend to focus on the percent of what we have that we give. In other words, if I make a... Uh, uh, $30,000 and I give 10% to charity, that's a big, big, huge deal, right? I mean, that's a huge chunk of my income. If I've got $500 billion and I give $100 million to charity, it's a very tiny percent of my income, but it's a huge amount of money. And what we see is that, that wealthier people focus on how much they gave and lower income people focus on the percent of what they have that they gave. And you can see why we do that, because on, on the one on the one end, we can't contribute as much as maybe we would like, but it's really coming at a cost. We're really engaged in really um, costly giving to ourselves. And at the upper end, you have people saying, I just donated $100 million. Why are you asking me to donate more? But people are saying, yeah, but that's 0.001% you know, of your total wealth. Why can't you do more? So I do think we see these kind of disconnects depending on our level of income in terms of even not just what's the right amount, but what even metric are we using it? Is it the total amount given? Is it the percent given? What's the best way to think about the problem? If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm with Joshua Green, Harvard University psychology professor and co-founder of Giving Multiplier, a website that aims to help people make more effective donations. And Michael Norton, Harvard Business School professor and co-author of Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. We're discussing a new and different approach to charitable giving. So I am uh, fascinated, though, that... Um, when we are in a period of a season of giving and there's all around us is the uh, 
conversation about giving is happening, um, Joshua. I mean, you're a you're a professor of psychology. Given what we've known, what we know, and what Michael has said shows up in the research. Still, I think you're inclined, um, if you're able. I mean, this is not a guilt trip. Um, to to be generous in some way, and I think that your program that tells me that the way that I may be giving to places I don't really know is effective is pretty powerful. I mean, this is an entirely, just to be clear to everybody, this is an entirely new model of giving. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're very excited about it. And, you know, as you said, I think it's the idea is to take that, that core driver of giving, that sense of personal connection, and then use that to fuel even greater impact without 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 giving uh, that up. I, I want to actually mention something based on what you, what you said before. You know, we were talking about what about people who don't have a lot of money and how should we think about that? And then also the question of how should we think about people who really do have enormous resources? And this is, a, I think, something I'll, I'll maybe pass over to, to Mike if he wants to comment. But for people who have a lot of money, my understanding is that you don't get that much, once you're already wealthy, you don't get that much more satisfaction out of being even wealthier. That the that the uh, you know large amounts of money can make very little or zero difference to your overall level of, 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 of happiness and satisfaction with your life once you're already in that zone, right? Um, however, using your money philanthropically can add a new kind of satisfaction that you otherwise wouldn't get. And so, you know, my, my, my thinking is that there's an enormous opportunity for, for people who are, who are wealthy to gain more satisfaction out of life for themselves by you know, thinking about what they can do with their with 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 their resources for other people, Michael. Just let me point out that Mr. Potter, <laughs> it's a wonderful life, seemed pretty miserable, and he had a lot of money and he wanted more. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, there's lots and lots of research on the relationship between income and well-being. I think the simplest way to think about it is if you think about. Um, let's say you make $30,000 a year and you get an additional $5,000. That's probably going to have a really, really big impact on all sorts of things in your life. You're, you know, you're, you're very cash constrained. This is a huge amount of money that you're getting that could really change things. More would, would be better, obviously, but, but now imagine that you make $300,000 a year and you get an extra $5,000. It's not that that's not good and people don't turn down an extra $5,000, but you can see how it's just not going to have as big an impact on your life or on your well-being as it might when you had less income. And that tends to be what the research shows. It's not that more money makes you miserable. Very, very rarely do we ever see that. It's just that it stops doing as much for you, and it does more for people who have less. And that insight you know, really suggests that transfer is a good idea, right? In other words, if I get $5,000 and it doesn't do much for me, but it does a lot for somebody else, it just sort of makes sense to give it to somebody else rather than keep it for myself. And we do look at that in our research as well as kind of what's the logic of transferring. But to Josh's point, it's also the case that, you know, we don't have a ton of data on billionaires because they don't really fill out our surveys and things like that. <laughs> they're, they're busy on their yachts or whatever billionaires do. But if you think about it, you know, if you if you have six yachts already, 
and you buy a seventh yacht, I'm sure it's amazing, but it's it's just less likely to have a huge impact on your life because you've already spent so much on yachts. And so there is this question of if you're maxed out on buying stuff for yourself, are there other things you can do with your money that might actually have a different emotional payoff? Well, you know, you mentioned that uh, it's amazing that, you know, we should appreciate the fact that normal people just give it all um, because you don't have to. And that's a good point. But I want to ask you if you think that uh, GoFundMe has had an impact on making giving seem more accessible to people and in answering the question that giving multiplier does, making people feel very clear that they have had an impact. Now, Michael Norton, I'll let you start. GoFundMe is is interesting because the the um, old model of I shouldn't say one of the old models of giving was kind of a, a vetted charitable organization that was clearly uh, you know working on a specific cause and was you know accepted as this is what this organization does. GoFundMe has a lot of that on the website, but it also has um, I'd like to spend more time. Uh, painting watercolors. And I asked my friends if they'll fund me, you know, for watercolor <laughs> paints so I can enjoy myself this weekend. And so it gets a little ambiguous on GoFundMe, really what the meaning of, of giving is. I think with charities, we're thinking there are people in need somewhere and maybe I'm relatively better off. And so let me help them by transferring some of what I have to them. GoFundMe introduces this, um, and again, I, I don't mean to say there are many causes and people on GoFundMe who who legitimately need the money that they're asking for. So I don't mean to be you know that cavalier about it, but there are also many people on GoFundMe who are pursuing pet projects for themselves and things like that. It's still nice to give to those folks, and we probably still feel good about supporting our friends, but it's just a very different flavor of giving than the kinds of giving I think that Josh is focused on and that we've mainly focused on in our research as well, which is a real transfer from better off to less well off, as opposed to kind of friends helping each other, you know, with, with their hobbies. Um, how do you feel about uh, GoFundMe, uh, Josh? Do you think uh, that's helped people at least get into more of a giving habit, even, even as Michael has made clear that, you know, some people are just, you know, doing not it's not going to people in need per se well uh an important thing as a researcher is to know when you don't know what you're talking about uh and th this is a place i haven't really studied gofundme and, and and looked at the range of things i i would say you know my guess is it's it has many uses and and it it can be used to you know provide for a really acute need in a way that it otherwise couldn't but it also can be used for things that are more like giving gifts to your to, to your friends and um yeah. So I, I would, I would, as, as Mike said, put that in a different category. And then, you know, when you're thinking about your serious giving at the end of the year, think about things, you know, not as, in addition to your personal connection, but also like, how can I really do the most good uh, with the resources that I have? And that really is your point. How can I do the most good with the resources I have? I'm going to give you a few more seconds to make that point. Well, I think, you know, one thing that people don't know is just how big the differences are in, in charity effectiveness, right? I mean, you might think that the differences between less effective and more effective charities is like the differences between, you know, um, heights among people where someone who's 
really tall might be you know 50% taller than someone who's on the on, on the shorter side but it's more like the differences in heights between plants where you can have a little shrub that's a few feet tall and you can have a redwood tree that's hundreds of feet tall like um the the amount of good that you can do uh with 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 something like say uh new new incentives which incentivizes mothers to get their children vaccinated against deadly diseases i mean you know th this 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 can save lives on a scale that most charities come nowhere close to, right? Um, so, you know, I think it's important for people to feel connected and to be motivated to do good things for other people. But it's a kind of superpower that we have. You know, this didn't exist for most of human history, where you, you know, sitting at home have the ability to transform the life of somebody on the other side of the world, or the life of, of, of dozens or hundreds of people on the other side of the world. And so I would say, you know, be aware that you have this superpower and give it a try. You know, you, you, you use it a bit. And, and again, if you use giving multiplier, you can uh, do that while at the same time supporting things that you're already more personally committed to and 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 getting something back for for your efforts well i think it's a great place to leave it i thank you both for joining me thank you thank you joshua green is a psychology professor at harvard university and a co-founder of giving multiplier a website that aims to help people make more effective donations Michael Norton is business administration professor at Harvard Business School and co-author of Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. Coming up, Northwood's author Daniel Mason's latest novel is a riveting imagined story of one New England house from the time of the American colonies to the present. Mason's narrative not only reveals the lives of the various owners of the Yellow House, but also details the exciting evolution of the plants and animals who share the surrounding land. Northwoods is our December selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.